Hello, I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday School lesson, Without Works. Today we'll be discussing sin and the ideas around it. It's important to say what sin is. St. John says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. St. Augustine described it this way, A word, a deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. The Bible uses the word hamartia to describe what sin is. It means failure, and it agrees with the Hebrew term barred from archery that means missing the target. That's all that sin is in the end. Why did it become so important? What does it mean in Christianity? We're going to discuss that today. So we're starting today with some good news, and then discussing one of the serious subjects that will infuriate Amity. We'll start with cannon fodder. People we hope will continue their current good works, and in doing so, qualify for canonization. I am bringing to the table some young people that have been in the news for all the wrong reasons through no fault of their own. First, I'm going to start with the position of this podcast, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that climate change is real, human-made, and will require humanity to fix it. Am I on the right track? Yes, absolutely 100%. Great. I want to touch on basic facts because I want to live in a world where facts matter and they are not partisan or sides-based. So, facts. In 2018, several reports were released by intergovernmental agencies that said, without equivocation, that without significant changes in human behavior, the global climate shift will cause catastrophic damage beginning in 2030. For those keeping track, that is 11 years from now. Already, There are millions of climate refugees around the world, and we are currently in the midst of a global extinction event. This isn't fear-mongering. This is a real, scary thing that is actively happening right now. The cascading impacts of climate change threaten the natural, built, and social systems we rely on. Societal efforts to respond to climate change have expanded in the last five years, but not at the scale needed to avoid substantial damage to the economy, the environment, and to human health over the coming decades. I also want to say that while reducing, reusing, and recycling is wonderful, individuals are absolutely not going to be able to fix this issue. The onus lay with corporations, as 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. The fossil fuel industry needs to be regulated and shut down, and it's up to people to press their governments to do that as companies designed to profit will continue to do the things that profit them if left unchecked. May I ask a question? Yes, of course. And of course, this might be a rhetorical question. Cool. So... There are a great number of religious leaders and people, conservatives, Mm -hmm. that are debating the reality of climate change, yes? Yes. They accuse people of fear-mongering when they're bringing the subject up, yes? This is what I wanted to address here. All right, so these are the same people who believe, as you now know, that Jesus will come back, take only a few people, and leave the rest to burn forever in hell, but that's not fear-mongering. No, that's not fear-mongering. That's okay, quote-unquote so telling the truth. Armageddon, also, the Antichrist, is not fear-mongering, but climate change is. Also, the two could be the same. 
Yes. If Jesus appeared on January 1st, 2030, when climate catastrophe really kicks in, then, oh no, we've got a little bit of one and a little bit of the other happening. What? I just don't understand how... Yes, no, it's hypocrisy. Uh, Clearly, over a hundred years of telling this very frightening nightmare story Mm. about the end of the world and indoctrinating people in it is less terrifying than the idea that there's something that we can do because we can't do anything to change Oh, yeah, apocalypse. no, Jesus becoming, Jesus becoming, and I right. cannot do anything There's about that. There's nothing that you can do to stop that vision of the rapture and the end of the world and the tribulation. There's no. nothing. What you're, what you're describing uh-huh. is what many conservatives uh, rely on as their best friend, and that is hypocrisy. Yes, I, I, I'm just now, it suddenly occurred to me, in the light of the last conversation that we had here, mm-hmm. that it seems ridiculous to accuse people of fear-mongering when they're bringing up this. Yes. Climate change. Correct. And at the same time, turning away from an artificial construct based on the scriptures that is terrifying yep. and is about extinction. Yep. Extinction it's, of it's, it's all the people the except the devout. Which right. Is really weird. Yes. Nope. Hypocrisy. Anyhow, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go on. That's totally fine. Um, I just needed to point that out because, it, it, yeah, it struck me. Go ahead. This isn't going to be a lesson on capitalism or climate change, except to say that it is real, and we have turned a blind eye, if not a sneering jeer, to it for so long that now we have children yelling at us that we have ruined everything, and for that we cheer them. So we're going to start. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention three young people, uh, three young uh, female people. Okay. The first one uh, will probably be known to most people. Her name is Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. She is a 16-year-old Swedish child. She's a child still. She first became known for her activism in August of last year, when at age 15 she began spending her school days outside the Swedish parliament to call for stronger action on global warming. Her protest began after the heat waves and wildfires during Sweden's hottest summer in at least 262 years. Her demands were that the Swedish government reduce carbon emissions in accordance with the Paris Agreement, and she protested by sitting outside the Riksdag every day for three weeks during school hours with a sign that was in Swedish that said, (laughs) I'm not going to do that to the Swedish language. They don't deserve that. Uh, School strike for the climate. She also handed out leaflets that stated, quote, I am doing this because you adults are shitting on my future. Thunberg says she first heard about climate change in 2011 when she was eight years old and could not understand why so little was being done about it. Three years later, she became depressed and lethargic. She stopped talking and eating, and eventually she was diagnosed with Asperger's, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and selective mutism. She is known for her blunt, matter-of-fact speaking manner, both in public and to political leaders and assemblies, in which she urges immediate action to address what she describes as a climate crisis. She's not the only one to describe it as such, because it is as such, a crisis. She first got the idea of a climate strike after the school shootings in the U.S. in February of 2018 led the 
the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, to organize marches, um, including the March for Our Lives, uh, in support of gun control. So okay. she saw that action and thought that a strike, a school strike, might work for the climate as well. Soon, other students engaged in similar protests in their own communities. Together, they ordered a school climate strike movement under the fri- name Fridays for Future. After Thunberg addressed the 2018 UN Climate Change Conference, student strikes took place every week someplace in the world. So for a year, uh, they've been happening. And this was under her direct inspiration? Mm-hmm. Or leadership? Was uh, she organizing this? Inspiration. In she is not organizing it okay. uh, because it is, it is people seeing her and it's taking it It's a spontaneous it movement. Mm-hmm. All right. In 2019, there were at least two coordinated multi-city protests involving over a million students each. That includes uh, New York City. Uh, The governor of New York, I believe, basically Uh gave a pass to all New York City public schools children to strike. Okay. Uh, Her speech is powerful. And she is angry. She also does not feel that she should be doing any of this. That adults and the people with actual power should be the ones doing something. But since no one has, it falls to her to do it. And she also acknowledges that she is one of the fortunate people. She lives in a wealthy country with wealthy parents. And she is in the least danger, and still she knows that she is in danger. Uh, but she acknowledges it in all of her speaking that uh, she she is one of the lucky ones. In other words, she recognizes her own entitlement and her own safety. Uh, her her own privilege, yeah. right. Yes. All right. Which brings us to the next young lady. Autumn Peltier, I believe is her how, she, how her name is pronounced. Uh She's been quoted as saying, we can't eat money and we can't drink oil. She told this to world leaders at the UN. She says, one day I will be an ancestor and I want my descendants to know I use my voice so that they could have a future. She is a 15-year-old citizen, and I'm going to do my best here, of the Wikwemkum First Nation, uh, which is located in, uh, in the province of Ontario, Canada. But, of course, it's First Nations land. Uh, She is the chief water commissioner for the Anishinaabek Nation. She represents more than 40 nations in Ontario, many of whom lack clean drinking water. In her speech to the UN, she urged world leaders to use their power to ensure people around the world have access to safe drinking water. Water is a basic human right. This shouldn't be having to be said to world leaders, really. When she was eight years old, she and her family traveled to the Serpent River First Nation Reserve for a water ceremony. While in the washroom, she saw posters with a warning that she had never read before. All over the walls, it said, boil water advisory, don't drink or touch the water. She asked her mother what the signs meant and learned that many First Nations community in Canada Communities in Canada didn't have safe drinking water. Today, 56 First Nations communities throughout Canada are still under a boil advisory, and some of those have been ongoing for more than 20 years. This is similar to the situation in the United States in Flint, Flint, and they also are under a boil advisory, and that is do not touch, do not drink, 
do not use for food, do not use to clean yourself. The water is poison. Uh, as the globe faces growing climate crisis, indigenous people and their rights play a vital role in preventing ecological destruction and climate catastrophe. Indigenous people inhabit 25% of the Earth's surface, but protect more than 80% of the Earth's biodiversity. <sighs> if you want to call them less civilized, think about that for a second, because civilization has destroyed much of the biodiversity of the planet, which has likely also destroyed, I don't know, the cure for cancer was probably in the Amazon and has probably been burned now. Uh, there are a lot of youth that are standing up, and it's because we're really seeing the effects of climate change, she says. A lot of youth are scared. We're wondering why, do we even have a future to look forward to? So she has actually been nominated for the youth category of the Nobel Prize for mm -hmm. the last three years. She was again this year. Uh, and she speaks out all over the world uh, uh, to shed light on indigenous water issues. Uh, they have, I will say, in the three years that she's been extremely active, 80 communities have gotten their boil uh, advisories removed. Wow. But there are still 56. So what's poisoning left. the water in this case? A lot of it is pipeline stuff, uh -huh. fracking, uh, lead pipes, you know, yeah. man-made stuff that we could definitely fix and just choose not to. So with her, I go to our last young lady. Her name is J.V. Margolin. And I'm just going to go to her very quickly. She started a movement and a nonprofit called Zero Hour. Uh, a quote from her, uh, based off of the quote from Ms. Peltier, is, I've always planned my future in ifs. If climate change hasn't destroyed this, if the environment hasn't become that. So she started Zero Hour which is um, entirely chaired by people under 18 and under. Wow. Like their okay, CFO so is 17. People. Yes. The mission of Zero Hour Movement, this is from their website, is to center the voices of diverse youth in the conversation around climate and environmental justice. Zero Hour is a youth-led movement creating entry points, training, and resources for new young activists and organizers and adults who support our vision. Wanting to take the concrete action around climate change, together we are a movement of unstoppable youth creating or organizing to protect our rights and access to natural resources in a clean, and a clean, safe, and healthy environment that will ensure a livable future where we not just survive but flourish. Uh, and there are a couple of really good articles. I believe the New York Times did an article sort of doing like a little bio for several of the people uh, in that. Some of them look at like animal rights as it pertains to climate. Uh -huh. There's the water um, people. They, Like I said, they have a tiny CFO who went to the nurse and said, she's, I mean, she's not, she's not tiny, but she's a young lady. She's uh -huh. still in high school. And when they were up against the deadline to write a grant, she went to the nurse and said she had cramps and said, can I bring my laptop in here? And then laid down yeah. and wrote a grant proposal and got him like $17,000. Get it, girl. And also, 
I feel like that should count for in-class time because that's, that's hands-on work. So I propose all of these young people for canonization and also let's take this burden off of them. Their children, they shouldn't be doing this work. Adults should be doing this, this work. This I agree with. I remember... Um... And for those, I don't know if we mentioned it on this program, I know that we might have mentioned it on the other, that my introduction to climate change was working, doing research for a documentary mm-hmm. for the better part of two years, gathering how the media was covering climate change as an issue. Mm-hmm. I had friends who were part of a scientific community that were doing research at the time. So I became really aware of it. And my position on this is unshakable because I saw day after day, this is all I did was mm-hmm. study the, the research. It amazes me that people are in denial about it. If you if we are having storms that are 100 century storms every uh, year, right. if every year the hurricanes are stronger than we've ever seen them and the wildfires are worse than we've ever seen them, and in Michigan, it's in September, we get a four-day snowstorm, and then two days later, there's a 95-degree heat wave. Something's wrong. Right. Something's wrong. Well, everything that you... And even if you don't want to say humans did it, humans have to fix it. Humans did it. Uh, I understand that. There was a... But it's moot. It doesn't matter. It's happened. At this point, it doesn't matter. The... When I was doing this years ago, there was discussion on whether or not it was caused by uh, the Industrial Revolution and the effects of pollution in the atmosphere and things like that. It, that's what it's It's moved started. beyond mm-hmm. even having that discussion. Mm-hmm. So I think that it, it's a terrible shame that we've basically condemned the future of the planet. It's, it, this is a subject that resonates with me too. And I really feel that these young people, and I'm not going to call them children because that's diminishing what they're well, doing. I, I want them to have a childhood. Well, <laughs> that they're is not my... going to have an adulthood at this rate. No, I understand that, but so... I that my 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 uh, indication of them as children is not to no, no, it's diminish, not no way to diminish them, them in any way. Your it is... indication uh, or your your designation of them as children, the designations they're receiving in the media, particularly I, in the conservative I press. I didn't want to discuss. I left out the criticisms uh-huh. because they're largely ableist. Uh-huh. Racist or completely unfair in looking at people as human beings with a stake in things. So that's that was that I'm just saying I didn't talk about the criticisms because they are deeply problematic. Uh, And like I said, where I'm not, I don't want to perpetuate the hate that is being. These 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 kids are being vilified, like they're pawns or, uh, or mentally ill. <laughs> they're not pawns. I've had this argument with people, because they're they're going to inherit what we've left mm-hmm. behind for them, and as you've said, it's not that we can do anything about this. You and I cannot do anything about this at this point. No. Well, what we can do is make sure that we're not voting. Right. And that's all specifically that we can do. not voting Republican here in the U.S., but we have to vote for people who will regulate, and we have to be on board for uh, changes in laws and right. uh, tougher emission standards, 
the phasing out of fossil fuels. It has to come from the top, and there will mm-hmm. be personal sacrifices that people like you and mm-hmm. I can make, but the steps that have to be taken, the important steps can't be taken by us. No, it's just what we vote for and what we support. Uh, but yeah, the the fundamental things need to be in legislation and corporate regulation. Yeah. It can't be done uh, just by the individual in the home. Yeah, you and I stopping use, our use of straws. Well, there's also, <laughs> I look at the amount of garbage that we produce, and we're fairly conservative about this, the amount of garbage that we produce that we can't help it because what are we doing? We're buying products that are in, wrapped in plastic that never dissolves. Yep. We're, yep. we're doing things that are out of our control. Well, we, we Yes, especially when you live in a food desert. Yeah. And you only have access to what you have access to and you still need to eat. Like Yeah. It's just become an untenable situation and it needs to be changed with manufacturers, with mm-hmm. product packagers, it needs to be changed. And it uh, the a number of complaints I've seen from conservative people about everything from using plastic straws. Why do we have to stop using plastic straws? To complaints about Greta Thunberg that she's being exploited. I don't think she's being exploited. I think she's No bringing back, and these others that you've mentioned, a very old office called Profit, where the person spoke on the behalf of the thing that doesn't quite have a voice but needs to speak directly to people's hearts. And those people have to speak and tell everyone else what is happening or speak on the behalf of. And in this case, uh, as as hippie as it sounds, these are prophets for the earth. It can't speak for itself. It can't speak for itself. They are the Lorax. And uh, we... The fundamental problem is that we've tried with facts and figures and people either choose not to believe that or they don't see what's happening. So now we have to go with empathy. Like you have to Right. All right. So yay for these young people. Yay for these young people. And let's see if we can get some old people to listen to. Go them. on doing God's work. You're actually doing something great and it needs to be done. Next up, we're diving into sin for education. So, Amity, I'm going to ask you a question. All right. What is your recipe for Irish car bomb cupcakes? Ooh, that's a problematic t- name. I'm not going to give you a full recipe, but no. I will explain what it is. If okay. you want a recipe, please just Google it. It's how I did it. Uh, it is a chocolate stout cupcake with a whiskey chocolate ganache and a Irish cream buttercream. Would you say there's anything, aside from calling it Irish car bomb cupcake, yeah. is there anything sinful about it? I mean, it depends. Are you a teetotaler? Well, I had a coworker have one of those cupcakes and describe it as sinful. And that's an odd word to describe something that makes you happy. Sinful. Is it like, like a guilty pleasure? Is that... I, I don't know why you'd feel guilty about a cupcake, but... Okay. I don't like the term guilty pleasure because right. it, it implies that you good either things like it or develop you guilt. Yes. And I think that's part of the attitude that we have to change. So today we're discussing sin. It's a very big subject, so we're going to break it into parts. This time we'll talk about the prevalent construct around sin in Christianity, original sin. I'm sure you've heard of that. I have. Hey, everyone. I hate it. <laughs> well, yes. Spoiler alert. I told you. I'm going to get mad in this episode. Now, I'm going to try right. to remain respectful respectful because but again like the rapture this is something that comes to us as a construct and an extrapolation that people have made about christianity 
it is much more successful than the rapture is for virtue of being around for so much longer. Okay, that's fair. All right. This wasn't born in the United States? No, this was born in in Africa? No, no. I would say that would say St. Augustine, but no. Okay. So this was born a long time ago. In a world this, far, far away. Got this it. theory comes to us from St. Paul and the church fathers like Augustine, Cyprian, Irenaeus, and it remains a prevailing theory in both Protestant and Catholic churches. Original sin, in theory, is hereditary sin. Now yeah. that's uh, the sin of my father is the sin of myself. It gets passed on. I, as a child of people who weren't great... I'm not a fan of this. Go on. <laughs> the idea is that the disobedience of our prehistoric parents in the Garden of Eden have caused us all to inherit their inclination to do wrong. Every well, human being at birth bears the curse laid on Adam and Eve by breaking harmony with God. Okay, so we're going to go all the way back to the original woman blaming. Well, yes. The original people blaming, but yes, she got it first. She got it first. Now, according to the creation story, the first humans are a pair, a man and a woman. They're set in a garden to take care of it. First job of human beings on Earth is to take care of the environment. Yeah. Oh, hey, remember our last segment? First human being. Hey, remember that? First job a man was given was to tend a garden. Hey, pet this animal. Name this plant. animal, <laughs> take care of the environment, and make children. That's all they were told to do. They're free to enjoy every fruit of the garden. They're commanded to be vegetarians. Oh, that's interesting. We weren't. I didn't know that. No, they're not allowed to eat meat because the animals were their friends. Animals are friends, not food. Exactly. (laughs) Except for the tree that would give them the ability to understand good from evil. That's the only tree they were forbidden from. Yeah, okay. So here's problem one. You didn't need to put that in there, God. Hey, God, you didn't need to put that in there. Hey, psst, God, you didn't. You you did this. You did not need to do that. Now, this pair, the first human parents, had no intention of learning the difference between these two ideas, but the woman, Eve, is talked into it by a pernicious serpent. Yes, his name is Crowley. Oh, no, I watched Good Omens recently. Uh, That's where he starts. So, this creature convinced <laughs> Eve to eat the forbidden fruit with the promise that she would become like God. Now, And she, in turn, convinced her husband. Let... let I'm going to just keep stopping you because right. once again, yes. God, you told me all these animals are my friends. You told me I'm not allowed to eat them. Just name them and be buddies with them. But I'm not supposed to listen to them. This well, is a trap. All of this is a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a God trap. So <laughs> instead of becoming like God. Also, you're omniscient. You knew that shit would happen. Instead of becoming <laughs> like God, they just became aware of how shameful and sad they were. When God uncovers this fact, what they've done, he curses them. Adam must now work for a living and die. Eve must have pain in childbirth, and the serpent has to crawl in its belly forever repellent to humankind, and eventually it will be eradicated by the human race. All of the created world falls into chaos, and we live with the consequences Violence, hate, war, a world where no human being can escape the impulse to do wrong. So, why didn't he just smite them and be done with it? What, and start all over again? Yeah, or not. He does that later on. Yeah, but... So, original... No, I hate this. Okay. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Right. Now, original sin is the concept, the concept as it comes through Christianity, 
that Jesus, human sacrifice, sponges away the stain of sin that we're born with. This is an abbreviated idea of original sin in its embryonic form, as St. Paul described it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all the world, to all that have sinned. Sin indeed was in the world before the law, but sin was not reckoned when there was no law. If, because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For just as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Cool, so after Jesus, then no more original sin. Well, what happens is that (laughs) Jesus offers redemption from those sins. Great. To make St. Paul's idea plain, we can't help but sin because we have inherited this sinful nature. We are inherently rebellious against the discipline and ordered universe that God created. We refuse to live in harmony. Jesus, acting as a sacrificial lamb, reconciles his rebellious children. Just as one man brings sin into the world, the other one has the power to erase it. Why is it that they don't treat both of these things equal? What things equal? So Eve ate the apple, and so now we're all sinners. But Jesus uh-huh. is our redemption, but we're not all free of sin? Why right, is one so not equal to the other? Eve didn't eat an apple. She ate something. I understand. Milton said on. it was an apple, right. and then everybody okay. says it's an apple. It's probably a pomegranate. Let's be real. Go ahead. Or a tomato. Some people think it's a tomato. Oh, it was on a tree. It wasn't a tomato. I said some people No such think thing as a tomato. tomato tree, y'all. All right. So there we are. So... Um, it is, it's our condition and our curse laid upon us by God according to this idea that we all are inclined to sin. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't erase it to the extent that we no longer are inclined to sin. It just gives us the ability to resist those urges. But as for original sin, mm-hmm. shouldn't it have wiped it away? No. So this is where, as we read what Paul's explanation was, people committed sin and they didn't know that they were sinning. So God gives Moses the law. Right. The, the law tells us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. The Ten Commandments are really, we should talk about them at some well, point. Well, we will talk about them at some because point. Because that first commandment, it's a, it's a real hint into what we're dealing with. Right. So. <laughs> it's not thou shalt not kill. Do not think that the first commandment is thou shalt not kill because God don't roll like that. God talks about God before God talks about you. <laughs> well, what happens in this case is that we are, Paul's argument, we are talking about that, is that the law actually condemns you because it makes you aware of the fact that you're sinning. The same way that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden didn't know they were naked until someone told them they were naked. Well, but they didn't somebody know there was didn't tell to, them, though. Right. They, they ate something and then suddenly they knew the word naked came into there. And the word shame. It's, it's the word them. shame. It's not right. even the word naked. They knew that they weren't, they didn't have clothes. Right, but it didn't matter before. So Paul's argument is that the law is not as effective as grace because the law teaches you what you're doing wrong, but does not give you the power to stop doing wrong. And we're talking about God's law, not... Right. And this is the law that God gave us. No. And other uh, human laws. Right. Because as laws. we know, human laws can easily be abused. Well, so everybody's laws can be abused. When we look at this story, it depends on a couple of things. A very literal reading of Adam and Eve, 
or at least the acceptance of it as a representation of literal events. In our podcast, the metric for judging the teachings of Jesus are the teachings of Jesus. My other problem with the construct, prevalent as it is, is that it excuses people and creates a helplessness about sin. I can't help it because I was born with a sinful nature. Now, what did Jesus say about sin? Nothing like this. He was concerned with with the sins of individuals, which is what we'll talk about next time. Treating other people terribly. He was not concerned about the sins of nations or concerned about the sins that... uh, where he did not create a construct by which we can understand sin from the very beginning all the way to modern times. Right. He was not doing that. So another thing that sort of original sin plays into is baptism. Uh Uh-huh. Well, baptism is a result of that construct being so prevalent. We have to baptize infants because they're born with this taint. We have to, which was the reason why the high church does that. So, yeah, so my question, is it limbo that they go to? So... So a baby is christened and baptized, uh-huh. and they die before they reach First Communion. Uh-huh. What happens to that baby? Well, that baby is really... Or what happens to that soul that's, uh, in, in, in Catholicism's it Well, in old Catholicism, view. it doesn't do that nowadays. The, the, the Pope just recently... It just was like, was every, like all babies go to heaven. Well, was just the idea that limbo was not in the Bible. It's a construct right. of the church, and therefore it can be reviewed. But that was where they went, right? right? Like the there was this there was holding a... place because, like, the whole thing with mm-hmm. Catholicism is you have to have you have to have, have confessed right. and been to church on the most recent Sunday. But when at the you same died. time, you could pray for the dead also, which is something that doesn't happen oh, okay. in Protestantism. Interesting. Okay. You can. This is why you go and light candles. That's why you offer prayers oh, on behalf okay. of people who are gone, because you can pray for them to have a smoother transition. I do like the Catholic idea that if you're not so good or so bad, there's a purgatory. There's a middle place. <laughs> a pur- right. <laughs> a purgation that leads to you unburdening your soul, and then you can go Right. Upwards. You don't have to be tortured forever. Just... You know, five to ten. You just have to five be to set ten right. in well, here. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's it's jail. It's, it, but it, but with no recidivism rate. Right. It's actual yeah. um, rehabilitation. Yes, that's that's the idea, which I think is a lot better than the, the evangelical Protestant idea, which is you're either good enough to go to heaven or you're. As you saw through the rapture film and through the Jack T. Chick track. Oh, yeah. Going to burn in hell forever. Burn Even in if hell you were for a good gossiping. Person. Burn in hell yeah. for whispering or backbiting. It's not murder. It's not. You, you, yeah. These kind never mentions in these books things like racism or. Oh, yeah. Uh, homophobia, torturing people because of their sexual orientation. It doesn't mention any of this. It just mentions things like backbiting and telling dirty jokes. That's enough right. to get you in town. Oh, yep. So, going out to the bar instead of going to church. Right, exactly. Hell, forever. So, original sin is a good construct, in a way, because it answers all sorts of questions with a very consistent logic. It all makes sense for itself, but it has the bad side effect of making everyone concentrate on sin. Yeah. I can't and concern and, myself with ancestral curses. This is very much like a horror movie. Right. And I don't know whether God would uh, create a curse that infects the entire human race, generations of people who have no responsibility, and then at the same time judges them according to the right. sins that they have no power to stop doing. Right. And if you're also talking about, you're talking about all of humanity. Right. All of humanity. And the, the people who got the laws were Moses' people. Right. For all of the places in the world. Uh-huh. Where Moses' laws are not, 
they're just all doomed to hell, to hell well, forever. Well, what St. Paul says in the book of Romans, and again, St. Paul was an excellent legal mind. He used to, you used to, not anymore, or maybe some do, study the book of Romans in law school because he has a really great gift for setting up arguments. I feel like Oxford probably is a place where that still happens. He's very good at setting up arguments, arguments. and then questioning okay. the arguments and then questioning questions about the arguments. He's very good at that. Okay. So, um, which is probably the reason why St. Paul's writings survive, even though he's a very problematic individual. And we'll discuss him at some point too. Cancelled. <laughs> but... You know, again, this it's creating the idea that God curses human beings for their disobedience or for destroying the harmony that God created, and then judges them for the sins that they can't help but commit because of the curse that he laid yeah, on them you in the did first this. place. Right. This is, this, and this was my fundamental problem at the, right. at the beginning. Hey, God, you did this. You made this decision. And, yeah, to curse billions of people uh-huh. for the behavior of the first two people who didn't even know what being a people was yet. Exactly. Seems petty. Petty is the word I'm going to go ahead and use. Well, there's a lot of um there's a lot of good writing on this, and some of it comes from Paul himself. He answers the question that you raised. He says that people who are uh, who haven't heard about God are held responsible not, are not judged by the law. They're judged by the dictates of their own conscience, which is what God puts in every human being, which is a very enlightened kind of idea. That is an enlightened kind of idea, minus, which is, you know, sociopathy and psychopathy. Well, and this is, again, this is the reason why but, I have an issue with some of the way that even alcoholism is presented to okay. us nowadays, because it seems to almost harken back to the idea that you can't control yourself. Sin reigns in your body, and it makes you do these things. So I, I, I have a question now when I look at the way that everything from weight issues to alcoholism to addictions is treated when it's saying it's in your flesh, which is almost a medieval idea of, oh, you can't stop it because well, you're just born with a nature. It's not in your flesh. It's in your brain. Right. Uh, there are brain chemicals that work here. Uh, and for all of the things you just listed... Uh that's true. Is it true for every instance of this thing? No. No, but you understand why it seems almost like stepping back to say, oh yes, well, this right, idea. But there's also medications you can take to fix these to issues. Correct to correct these issues. I, I hope they work. I've never seen a successful I've just seen a lot of... I mean, there yeah. are... There's that, that, okay, specifically for alcoholism... Mm-hmm. There is a thing that you can take right. that will keep alcohol from affecting your brain the way that alcohol affects your brain. You will not get intoxicated. This shows that there is a thing in your brain that is being affected, right? Uh, and not everybody has these things, but it's all it's all neurotransmitters. It's all, but it's the same thing even larger with sociopathy and psychopathy, which are accepted uh, psychological issues, wherein that right versus wrong that is innate in us is missing, (laughs) is not there. So this, again, is a, a disconnect 
in a hole. So then we can safely say that people who uh, don't have these deficiencies in psychopathy and sociopathy, which I can safely say because they can harm other people, are are disabilities. Yes, I I would would, consider them disabilities. They are... We can say that these people are the ones who need the law to guide them. Yes. And the other people can survive on a certain amount of grace or an innate sense of right and wrong. So that, in essence, we're saying that St. Paul could be right, at least in this part of his argument. Yes. That we are bound to do things that are selfish. and Because his question was, why do I do things that make me unhappy and hurt other people that I don't really want to do? So he okay, starts with that well, question. Yeah, why? Why? Right? So, Like, what kind of things are all of those things? Because right. there are things that make you happy uh-huh. that hurt other people. Yes. And that is why you do them, because they make you happy, and you are dismissing the hurt on other people. There are things that you want to do that turn out not to make you happy, but you wanted to do them in the first place, and you didn't know it wasn't going to make you happy. But if you don't want to do it, it doesn't make you happy, and it hurts other people, yeah, why is anybody doing that? Well, his idea was, why do I do these things that hurt myself and other people? And more importantly, in the context of what he was talking about, hurt my relationship with God. Why do I do these things? What kind of things is he talking about? Because I'm selfish. Because I do things in my own interest, things like that. Oh, so we're talking about the inability to... And he makes it personal, his own personal sin, right? But like, what kinds of things are we talking about? He's not being specific about this. He's talking about, in general, why people do things that hurt other people. Well, well, because, but what you said, it's not all, it's never going to be a thing that is all three, a thing I don't want to do, a thing that hurts me, and a thing that hurts other people. His notion was that people don't want to do things that are wrong, but they do it anyhow. Well... A big part of it is we don't know, A, all of the consequences of each of our actions. Yes. I would refer you to season three of The Good Place. Um, B. It's not a biblical reference, but it'll do We are that. not, human beings are, as a whole, not very good at self-reflection. Looking at our own behaviors okay. and uh, judging them. Objectively, because reality, our realities, are subjective. I think it's getting better, weirdly, with things like social media that allow us to see things that we Uh would never have been able to see before and interact with people who are unlike the people who we are all around all of the time, who are often people that are just like us. That's how societies work, but we don't have the vision to see, you know, what we're doing. What how he's talking about everything. is, I think mostly, and we'll take it in the context of his culture, there's a certain agreement about what right and wrong is for him as a Jew, okay. living in a Gentile world. So yeah. he's saying, we agree that these things are wrong, and we agree that we do things that violate or damage our relationship with God and hurt our relationship with other people, but we don't seem to be able to be to stop doing them. Mm. Now, what I always find interesting about that particular statement that he makes is it's almost identical to a statement that Bu- the Buddha makes when he's trying to reach his notion of why is it that people do wrong and can't seem to help themselves? Mm. They'll do something wrong and they'll do something that 
in the end pleases themselves or makes things good for themselves, mm-hmm. but hurts other people, or they're able to look past their own flaws, but not their flaws in other people. And he goes yeah. in a different direction with that. He yeah, believes that the way to do yeah. it is very much like Paul said what Paul abandons. Paul abandons the law, and Buddha embraces these rules for uh, making things better. It's like there's an eightfold path, and it's going to work for us, and we can discipline ourselves. And Paul's mm-hmm. like, well, that doesn't work because it doesn't take away my urge to do something wrong, which he believes the sacrifice of Jesus does. Well, but... I would argue that not doing the thing that you urge to do, even though you know that it's wrong, is exactly the same as what bravery is. Bravery is not the lack of fear or courage. Uh-huh. It's not the lack of fear. It's doing it anyways. Uh-huh. And so no, being can, good that, is not not having the urge to do something bad. It's knowing better and then not doing that thing. But we do things that are quote unquote sinful, uh-huh. you know, bad that damage our relationships most often probably because life on this planet is pain and suffering. And to get a respite from that, sometimes we do desperate things that end up being you well, know. See, now let's let's go on let's go back to originally what we started this conversation with, your cupcake. Life is bad and terrible, so this cupcake, I really enjoyed it, but it makes me feel guilty because it was so rich and quote-unquote decadent that I feel like I've done something wrong by temporarily ending the pain and suffering that I I, I, encounter in life. This is not a life view that I can get behind because maybe as a chronic pain sufferer, Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat a cupcake. Sometimes I'm going to eat a cupcake. Because I need five minutes where... And what I want to emphasize is that's not sin. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's not right. sin. Now, if you're eating a cupcake and someone else is starving and you're watching them starve and you're eating the cupcake... That's a sin. That's a you sin. Stop it. Right? You cut that fucking cupcake in half or you give the whole thing to them. Right. It's just that's kind of what I want to make the... Because I really feel that we use that word a lot, especially in the sexual context where if yeah. we're enjoying ourselves sexually or we're enjoying ourselves gastronomically or... In, it's yeah. a sin because it's seen as an indulgence. And there's nothing wrong it's, with... This is from the deadly sins, the, the, the concept, well, which is, gonna... seems totally outside of Christianity. Was it born in Christianity? No. Okay, well, I it was, think so. it, No, the, the construct was created by... And we're going to discuss that next time that we get okay. together. But um, this concept, what I wanted to go with... Because we're going to run into original sin no matter what we do. It's going to be there. Because a lot of the, it's been around for such a long time that... So original sin, now now do we take it to mean just our predilection for sinning? Right. Okay. If we not were like you were born and, and... Right. Not like I was born and then I had this... this Like if you were looked at my soul chart, uh, I'd just have all these sins written down from everybody right. who came before no, no. me. That's yeah, those not what we're talking about. personal sins. Remember, original sin is a hereditary sin. No, I understand so that. So by saying that, it's not at all what you did. It's what your condition. It's a condition. Okay, Your condition you. of having to do things that you don't really, like, why do I do these things? Why do I hurt people? Why do, and again, it starts with that same question. Now, again, it depends on a very little literal reading of Adam and Eve. Which I can't it depends do, y'all. <laughs> and there's some really beautiful writing about the idea of original sin, but at the same time, it falls short of what Jesus taught, which is grace. He's teaching, your sins are forgiven, and we're going, oh, but we can't help it. 
So it's almost like we're taking something back from him by going. So, yeah. but he's talking about a different thing. He's talking about your your personal failings uh-huh. that you feel bad about and are right. repentant for. Right. And sometimes that's what's yes, forgiven. Yes. That's he's what's not. Forgiven. He's not saying, and you'll never want to do it again. Right. No. Not at all. No. He's because... just saying, if you did a thing that uh-huh. you feel bad about, whatever that is, and you're sorry. Uh-huh. Go on with your bad self. You're fine. Like well, you, you don't have to wallow in this. You're not going to go down. Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, consistently, go and sin no more. Just stop doing that. Don't keep doing that thing that's making you unhappy, that's making you unsad, that made you so sad you have to come here and repent. Right. Which is when we talked about last time Mary Magdalene, you know, this weeping, this crying. Right. No, no, stop doing that. Well, that's all well and good, but uh, I need to eat. No, Exactly. <laughs> Which is, that's why Mary Magdalene now became one of the disciples and follows him around. And You're going to give me some bread and cheese, partaking right? Partaking of his table and everything. And these, Because you told me not to do the thing that was... But, no, but I we was don't in, even know that she was really a prostitute. We don't. We don't Which we'll have but, to carry. She will be one of our next women, by the okay. way. Because I've, we have to talk about why she got cast as a prostitute and it never says she was a prostitute. Oh, that's fun. Because we hate women. That's why. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the world. We're full of the patriarchy and we always have to... Uh, but that yes, there are times when the thing that you don't want to be doing is the thing that you have to be doing to survive. So right. are you just supposed to roll over and die? There, the, <laughs> that's what causes that shame. That's what, and what really the church community was supposed to do is to stop that from happening. What we're supposed to do is provide options and education and training and a place for people. This is what the church, the mission of the church is supposed to be. And we talked about that earlier when we talked about the good church, when it works. Mm -hmm. Homeless people are being given showers, are given education on how to fill out resumes. They're given places to stay while they go looking for jobs. That's what the church is supposed to do. Interview clothes, things like that, yes. Yeah, exactly. And meals. And meals. Because if you're distracted for your daily existence all the time, you're not going to be able to focus on starting a life or starting a career. Yeah, and and they've done studies where the human mind, if it's struggling to survive, it makes poor decisions just because it's, it's doing too many calculations. Right. So those calculations, the ability to do those calculations is degraded, not through any fault of that person uh-huh. or any any uh, shortcoming, but when you are thinking about where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, how you're going to shower, where you're going to take a bath, where you're going to go to the bathroom, right? You know, all of these things, in addition to how am I going to get a job? How can I apply? Where do I need to be? How, what bus do I have to do? Like, it's too many things, and each one doesn't get the the glucose in your brain that it <laughs> needs so that you can make strong decisions. You have to make the decisions that you can make uh-huh. to make everything else. Yeah, it's, it, it's wild. So remember, this was not something taught by all the members of the early church, and it was not an idea taught by Jesus. It comes from an extrapolation of St. Paul's theological ideas. So this is all post-Jesus. Right. And it was accepted by the church fathers because they were combating other ideas they considered heretical. So they needed a construct. Okay. And I I don't know if you'll know the answer to this. So if Uh not, I will cut it out. What is the Jewish... 
like the what is with the Old Testament version of sin be? Is that is that it's anything? Very different. And we'll be discussing that. It's more like what we're going to discuss next time. Okay. Which is okay. personal sin. Personal sin. Okay. Okay. The things that you've actually done. Right. The, okay. Now they did believe in a corporate guilt and that a nation could sin against God, but okay. that idea eventually gets dropped. Interesting. Okay. So Christianity is about the individual and the relationship with God. The sin that we can concern ourselves with isn't sin that came from a curse yeah. thousands of years ago. We can't do anything about that. It's our personal sin. Right. It's not about what happened in ancient times that affects you against your will, but what you do and how it affects you and why it's wrong. So those are the ideas that we have mentioned. Ancestral sin, it's mortal, it's venial. If you die without accepting some sort of grace, you're under the punishment of the sin that you didn't cause. Right. So we're going to talk about it next time, personal sin and how it relates to your cupcake. Okay. It doesn't. My cupcake was delicious. Y'all, if you're having a rough time, look up those cupcakes. They're real good. Let's talk about how there's one word for every level. There isn't. And that's what we're going to talk okay. about next time. All right. <laughs> so Great. There's lots of wonderful, there's the seven deadly sins, and then there's venial sin, there's mortal sin, there's... Okay, so this right. is what we're going to talk that's about. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Our next sin installment. Right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave us a review. And please share it with a friend. Uh, how we get our name out there, and our name is not out there very far. So please share it with a friend. We have an internet home without works podcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts from our episodes can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information, also on the website. Check out the website. It's uh, it's real nice. I do. It I, is. I do update it all of the times. I've been Amity, and he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to get out there and do something good. Everybody's got a little light under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun.